West, the scientist on the Science First Spook Show. Today's episode, episode number eight, is prime thinking, Colorado and an HBCU mentality. Let's dive right in. So last Saturday, Deion Sanders, our coach prime, he shocked the college football world by beating TCU, a very strong and solid TCU team. He beat TCU 45-42, and the Vegas odds makers had Coach Prime as a 20-point underdog. So the spread was very wide. No one really gave Coach Prime and the team a chance. You know, a lot of the critics and the sports commentators, they're like, you know, Prime is going to leave the Jackson State and go get smashed over there at Colorado. Why go to such a weak team? So there was a lot of doubt about could Prime go to a bigger school on the national stage and be competitive. Uh, And, of course, he starts the season off like he started his career. So this first game, he scored a touchdown during his uh, first game. He returned a punt 68 yards in his first game. And, of course, he starts off kind of D1 coaching with this massive upset of TCU. And, you know, when I watched that game, there were a couple of things that stood out to me. One, it was, of course, you know, the the play of Travis Hunter, who played a, a cornerback and wide receiver like Dion, and how many snaps he was taking in like, you know, crazy heat. I'm exaggerating, but let's, you know, 150 Texas Heat, this guy has a touchdown. He has an interception. He's putting his team in a position to win. He has like a record number of snaps because he's playing defense and offense. The guy's not out of breath. And you see Des Bryant, former receiver for the Cowboys, he's like, oh, Travis Hunter, you know, he's going to look back and watch the tape of mistakes and He could have had a perfect game. And I'm like, what type of spook is this? I mean, this guy, he's playing both sides of the ball, right? And he's playing at an A level on both sides. And he's playing in the Texas Heat. And his team, 20-point underdogs, he is a dominant factor for why they're about to pull off one of the biggest college football debuts in the history of college football. But here's Des Bryant talking about Travis Hunter. And I get like, hey, there's imperfection and this and that. But man, the bigger picture, you know, it just sounded kind of crazy to me in terms of this guy's playing on both sides of the ball. He's he's doing a great job, but this guy's talking about what he's doing wrong. And he's going to go back and look at the tape. But, you know, that game was one of the best games I've watched in a very long time. And, you know, it supports my initial assessment that when the critics were coming out, calling Dion a sellout and he's going to fail and this and that, is that there was just a disparity, I believe, where how Coach Prime values himself and what he brings to the table and how the critics and the social media, how they look at him in terms of his value. And there's like a big spread, like TCU and Colorado, there's a 20 point spread, but there's a lot of distance in terms of 
how Coach Prime sees his value and what he brings to the table and some of the people on the outside, how they they view him. And of course, on this show, we talk about when there's really big spreads, right? One side is the reality. Another side is way out there and they're just imagining this other stuff. When there's large spreads, we, we're going to call that spook. Okay. So when I was looking at all the criticism, you know, at the time, you know, and it was like a majority, there's like a mob out there. Hey, you know, he should stay, blah, blah, blah. He's doing this. He's doing that. I said, hold up. We got to look at more factors in this and we're going to get into more factors. But what stood out, the other thing that stood out to me, not just the Travis Hunter play and what Des Bryant was saying was Colorado is going to be America's team. It's not going to be about a region. Hey, I'm from Los Angeles. So that means I like USC, you know, I'm live in Florida. So I'm going to be a Gators fan or, you know, I'm in Ohio and my team is Ohio state Colorado because of this story, this underdog story and nobody believes story and all these critics and, you know, notable people who are totally dismissing the idea that Coach Prime could do that at the national level. And I think, you know, this Colorado story, uh, not just about football, it's going to be a big story in the United States. And I think for the first time I've seen, it's going to be kind of an American thing, a black thing for sure right? The majority of black America is going to be rooting for Colorado, but it's also going to be an American thing that people like a story like this. And this thing is going to be a real big deal. And so the tickets are all sold out. Colorado, you know, Colorado, once the whole country starts to get on board the Colorado train, this is a very smart decision right, by the institution, Colorado, to pick up Dion as a coach draft pick. Because you see that this guy is putting the whole country, he's putting the whole country and is focused on your school out of all the schools. And so it goes to what he brings to the table. Because if you don't understand someone's value or how they're valuing themselves and how they're looking at the big picture, and you're over here in this corner, you're never going to understand the reality and what's going on. And so, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, man, I should uh, talk about this because, you know, at Moguldom, we were very vocal about you got to look at a lot of different factors here. You can't just throw him in the, away and start your tantrum because you wanted him to not stay three years, you wanted him to stay forever, or you wanted him to stay six years, that there's a lot of different factors you would have to consider before throwing somebody with this much credibility to the table. And so what I thought about was I met with um, the Morehouse College president. Of course, I graduated from uh, Morehouse. Uh, and I went back to talk about digital media and digital marketing to a marketing class there. So I'm back on campus and I'm talking about the industry and kind of some of the innovations and how things are rapidly changing. I'm invited to meet with the president of Morehouse when I, when I uh, come back. 
and uh, John Wilson uh, at the time. It was 2015. So I'm meeting in the president's office and, you know, he's talking about his vision and, you know, he's talking about their different things and what he's trying to do in terms of alumni fundraising and raising money. And one of the things that kind of stood out was the president of Morehouse, you know, he says, you know, I rub people. This, I'm, this is, these are not verbatim words. This was in 2015, but he, he was saying, you know, some people don't like it, but there's a HBCU mentality. And he kind of, maybe cause there was some controversy in the background and maybe, you know, he's trying to seed a little bit in terms of positioning, because there's a political background in the backdrop. Uh, I don't know about everything's going on, but later I find out there's a bigger kind of political backdrop. He's like, you know, some people, they want to stay in like a HBCU mentality, right? And so his opposition, you know, some of them thought he was elitist. You know, he had two degrees from Harvard University. And of course, he went back after this and he's now, you know, he has a position at Harvard, I believe, assisting the, the president of Harvard. But, you know, he tells me that, you know, sometimes he runs into kind of political and he runs into issues because some people have an HBCU mentality, right? That's going to sound very offensive to a lot of people. Like, hey, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say there? And one way to interpret that is that someone who has been around different situations, different experiences, different institutions, right? They want to help the HBCU, right? So they're there because they want to help. However, you may run into opposition, red tape, people who don't understand. So you have a vision in where you want to take the HBCU and other people may not want to go at the same speed. They may not have the same convictions you do. They may not look at the levels that you're trying to rise to. And it's not about, I want to, you know, of course, rise to what the white folks are doing. It's more like we can do a lot better. I've seen better. Okay. So, John Wilson was pushed out of Morehouse, I believe within like, you know, 15 months of meeting him, he was pushed out and there was a big political fight and there was a big fallout. But when he, he comes into Morehouse and the, the budget and the finances are upside down, he has to cut a lot of, you know, teacher salaries. He has to you know, restructure the, the finances of the institution and somebody who has to restructure the finances, they're coming into a troubled situation at the time is right. A lot of people, you come in, they're not going to like you. No one, unless they're mature, unless they've been around the block, they know, you know, they're very, they're more sophisticated and they understand kind of, Hey, this is a multi-factor situation, but essentially when you're coming in, with college students and parents and uh, teachers and you're cutting stuff. I got to take this away. I got to take this away because I have to be responsible. We have to balance these books. You're coming in structured to be a bad guy, right? So you're, you're starting off with 
political opposition because you come in in a tough situation and you got to start taking things away. And then also, if you're coming into a tough situation, you have to start thinking about, I got to tell these people that we got to do things different for different results. So that right there is going to shake a lot of people up, right? You're going to develop some type of opposition because you're coming in saying, we can't keep on doing this stuff the same. Let's, we're going to get the same results. And so there are political and cultural factors that are going on at not just HBCUs, but going on at colleges. There's strategic conflicts in terms of what the vision is, what the goals are, what are we going to cut? And so this popped in my head, this HBCU mentality thing, where I think he's talking about there's a certain a comfort of staying near the same place that some people you know, they're going to have strong opposition to that mentality. Hey, I want to build better houses. I want to build better houses faster. We need to do certain things. And some people may say, hey, I don't like that. I want to do it in these steps. And I want to keep up things more of the same. This is who we are. And so I thought about John Wilson, that conversation I had when I thought about Deion Sanders, because when somebody is going into a troubled situation at Jackson State, that, you know, it's not like a controversial thing, that there were a lot of problems there with the football program and the university when he steps into it. Okay. Similar to John Wilson. And I, I, I'm not like, hey, John Wilson is, I'm not saying he's the great guy. He's the best president. I'm just telling you my conversation with him. It's not a a judgment on uh, you know his strategy or anything like that. So Deion Sanders, he's coming into a troubled turnaround situation. Okay, and similar to to John Wilson, and you know he was talking about he wanted to put the Morehouse College in the position where he can pay, of course, the professors uh, better. And Dion was saying that he wanted more resources. Of course, there was friction with him trying to get more compensation, more resources for his staff. And I thought about John Wilson. And when people are like rushing to judgment and Deion Sanders is a sellout and this and that, some of these people, one is they never went to a HBCU themselves. Okay. So most of these critics, they got all this stuff to say, but they don't really understand. They're not intimate, which with nuances at HBCUs, okay? They didn't go to an HBCU themselves, but they're talking and they got all this stuff to say, calling people sellouts. But they may not even, they may not, not only did they not go to an HBCU, but they may not be familiar with the type of politics that could go on in this type of situation. And so when a person like Dion is out, right? There's likely some type of politics going on. There's some, there's different strategic thinking. There's different expectations. There's different philosophies. Uh, and so when we reduce situations to positive, negative, bad, good, and we're not adding up the different factors at play, right? We're setting ourselves up to be a crooked judge. And of course, in today's climate, and you know, people want to counsel people, they don't do what you want them to do. They're ready to just to throw it all the way. They won't consider how many years you've been in the paint, 
They won't consider the different factors. They don't consider your family situation. They're not considering your own personal financial situation. They just got something to say. They're just running mouth, running mouth. And they have these very speedy judgments on people's character and what they're doing in their life. And so, you know, the different criticisms, uh, the main one, of course, is the main two is Deion Sanders is hurting HBCUs by leaving to Colorado. He goes to, you know, white is better. You know, I go to Colorado and I'm just using the HBCU. I'm stepping on the HBCU to get to a better and more lucrative job. I was always using in some type of exploitive way. I was using Jackson State to get here. It's part of my plan. I'm not sincere. Okay. I'm just using Jackson State as a jump off. And so the problem with that is one, Deion Sanders says that when he met with the athletic director at Jackson State, the athletic director knew that he was a flight risk. A guy like that bringing all this to the table, this guy, you know, has been to like eight Pro Bowls, Hall of Famer. This guy's a legend. Okay, for him to come to Jackson State, to come back to Jackson State, this guy is high flight risk. And the athletic director, he knows that. He knows he's getting something that possibly, you know, he didn't think he could ever get. Okay, so he says, at least give me two years. And Deion Sanders gives Jackson State three years. And what Deion Sanders says is, look, for somebody like me to come here and put down three years and the job I did and the attention that Jackson State got, somebody like me, the estimated monetary value in terms of what Prime brought to Jackson State was estimated uh, to be about $187 million. But for him to give you three years and take your, take your team to, you know, 60 Minutes, uh, you know, HBO, and it's just a national thing, and there's corporate sponsorships, Coach Prime giving you three years is like you getting six or even possibly nine. It takes time to turn around the program, but Prime, he turned around the program relatively fast. And so when people have these judgments, these rush judgments, I want to hurry up and handcuff and arrest Prime because he didn't stay and I wanted him to stay. I wanted him to be the Messiah of HBCUs. When people are giving, you know, these rushed judgments, we have to consider when somebody is saying someone is exploiting another party, exploitation is there's a big discrepancy, right? So the, the payday loan lender on the corner you know, charging crazy interest rates, right? There's a big spread in, con in what each side is bringing to the table. This person is exploiting the person who's desperate. Here, Prime is bringing so much to the table, he can't be exploiting Jackson State because he's raining down value on Jackson State. The value is raining down on Jackson State He's bringing so much to the table. He's putting people in seats. He's putting the national attention on you. He's winning the football games. He's doing so much more 
than anybody expected. So he can't be exploiting Jackson State if he's just raining down value on Jackson State. Okay, he's bringing so much to the table. He can't be exploiting Jackson State because he's giving so much. And he's giving so much without getting paid. You know, he had a minimal salary at Jackson State, but it wasn't a big Division I salary, right? It wasn't a salary like he's getting now. And so my original assessment when there's all this kind of mob attack on Coach Prime in this situation was that, you know, they didn't really understand that he was working for charity. Sometimes people could be so unscientific, so one-factor thinking, they may not even realize that you're doing this for charity based on your value what you could get, what you're used to getting, they may not even realize they will be attacking the person as being greedy or exploitive, but they're actually working for charity. They're not really getting anything materially in terms of I'm getting paid for all the stuff that I'm doing. So in my mind, have your first season or your second season, Dion, his value has skyrocketed. Okay. The third year, he's pretty much based on the value he can get, you know, a really big deal. You know, he's working for free. Okay, but the people are not going to appreciate that. And I know the people in the audience, you know, sometimes you're, you're doing so much, but it's still just not enough. People want you to do more. You got it like that. And you could, you know, you know, you could do more uh, uh, for this particular cause. But if you go under the hood and look at the different factors in the science is, man, this person is like a charity over here at Jackson State. And so one of the things that stood out to me was there was some, I believe, one of the things that popped up is there was some type of uh, funny business going on at Jackson State. With the allocation of the money, the priorities, you know, and a soft suggestion, some type of financial issue was, it seemed like a high potential that was something funny going on with the finances at, at Jackson State. And I'm going to play this clip from Deion Sanders himself. So, of course, that's one of our sources. I'm just going to go to his side of the story. So a lot of times when people are being accused of all this stuff, you know, you got to think about, man, some of these people, they deserve a defense attorney, but I think Dion can, he's strong enough to defend himself. So, you know, he goes on the earn your leisure podcast, and this is months before he leaves. And if you watch, if you listen to this, his frustrations are clear. Right. Somebody who's doing all this stuff and they got all these scam plans. Right. When you listen to him, he's telling you about the problems right there. And you can kind of see he could be on his way out because the frustration that he's dealing with on campus, you could kind of read into that in this interview. But here he is on the Earn Your Leisure podcast. And this is what he had to say. Many of the several of the coaches on Zoom call and say, let's talk about our biggest nemesis or detractors or cancers and we just 
talked about it. And ironically, everybody's dealing with the same foolishness, but people just don't talk about it. Mm. But this is the problem. I could say stuff. Coach George could say stuff. Um, Coach Hugh Jackson could say stuff. You know, you got NFL guys, excuse me. But some guys that don't have that, they may can't elaborate and talk about the dysfunction that they're dealing with because they're subject to be fired. Mm. And when we do it, you may not like it, but I'm not lying. So if I'm saying, how are we going to be on TV? You don't sell out a darn home game. Mm. So who going to go want to film an empty stadium? They may not like it, but I ain't lying. How can we have 60,000 people in a darn stadium? You talking about we sold out, and I checked the receipts, and we done sold 28,000 tickets. Now, y'all better find out who's stealing, because that affects my pocket. You may not like it, but I ain't lying. So it's a lot of stuff like that, uh, and it's more that goes on, on that we got to address. And I just have the audacity to address it, because it's for the kids. It's for the kids. You know, what I, what I... Okay, so I believe that there's a lot more uh, to this story uh, in terms of the, the politics and issues with the leadership at Jackson State. And, but I think th the character that Coach Prime has is he had an opportunity to air the stuff out, but he chose not to, right? And so everybody's saying this stuff and they're attacking your character. They're calling you a sellout of Uncle Tom. You just want to go with the white university. You used us. Uh, you know, you're a sellout. And somebody that has a lot of character, they're not going to respond, right? They can respond, but they're not going to fill in the facts, the reality, because it could hurt other people. Okay. And he doesn't want to hurt Jackson State. He may have some beef with some of the people at Jackson State, the administration, some, some of the leadership, but he's not going to air it out. And I thought that's, that speaks highly of his character because if you read between the lines, you see that there's a high probability that there was other things going on on the inside that the public will never know about because Coach Prime is not going to air that stuff out. And so let's look at some of the criticism. So I'm going to start with the president of Simmons College in Kentucky, uh, Kevin Cosby. So who I like, he's possibly the foremost college president that's an advocate for reparations for Black Americans. And, you know, Kevin Cosby out of Kentucky, Simmons College, he says, I want Dion to fail. HBCUs are for the black masses. Colorado is for the black classes. Carter G. Woodson has a whole chapter in the miseducation of the Negro on black professionals leaving black institutions. He said this is a classic example of miseducation. Kevin Cosby goes on. I take Dion's departure personally. As an HBCU president, whenever I land talent, either in sports or academia, PWIs who have more money attempt to lure them away. HBCUs don't have the money. They reflect black wealth 
deprivation in general. Another tweet by uh, President Simmons College President Kevin Cosby. So he wants Dion to fail. Okay. And he's looking at it as, you know, you're, you're kind of treacherous. You know, you're a, ra- you're a race trader. You know, you're supposed to bang for HBCUs and now you jump ship and you're going to get bigger money right on the surface. It does look real bad on the surface. There's no doubt about that. So Bomani Jones, what show is he on? I think he's, uh, he was laid off by uh, ESPN, but um, after this incident, but he goes, Bomani Jones, you know, he goes on CNN and he suggests that Coach Prime is selfish. You know, he was selling a dream, but he's all about himself. Uh, And I was like, wow, this guy is going on national TV and suggesting that someone is of poor character because they took this job. This guy is painting this brush on national TV on CNN where it's kind of like he's a, a, a false prophet. You know, he's talking about God told him to come to Jackson State. Did God tell you to go take the money? So he's being funny with it. But this guy, he may think it's funny and it sounds smart, but you have to really be careful from my perspective where you go on national TV and you start painting a brush, but you don't have any sources and you don't tell the people on national TV the inside information of what's really going on. You don't really give anybody any factors of the situation, any complexity, any nuance. You're just reading things black and white on the surface, leaving the HBCU for white. And that's the, the, the end story. So when you're doing something like that, you're failing as a journalist, okay, where you just paint this brush, this person's character People have been familiar with Deion Sanders for decades, okay? This is not a new person. And when you cut this person down to, like, bad character and you don't have any real information as a journalist, you're not telling me anything that's coming out of Jackson State. You're not telling me anything that's on the inside. You're not – you're just giving me a superficial information, but you're giving the country who – you're leaving them – deaf, dumb, and blind about the situation too. So after they listen to you, they don't really gain any material information where they can be informed about the issue. You know, you're out here, what it looks like trying to sound smart, but you have a very superficial way of looking at this situation. And people are going to most likely remember that. And so Bomani Jones, of course, he has a really imbalanced paintbrush on CNN about this situation. Jamil Hill, you know, she writes in the Atlantic, the title of her uh, take out of the Atlantic is Deion Sanders' disappointing exit. What's interesting about her criticism is in two instances of her article, she uses only. He was only at Jackson State for two years or three years. He was only at Jackson State for three years. So the average tenure 
of a college coach is two years. But here she is in the Atlantic poisoning the reader with this bias. When you use only multiple times, you're suggesting he's giving less than the average. He actually is giving more than the average. But it's not just more than the average. It's Deion Sanders. So him giving you three years is really like you're getting six Right. If you really consider all the different factors and what he brings to the table, what he has proven throughout over and over throughout his life for you getting three, you should be happy. You ungrateful people. You ungrateful critics. Okay, if he's given you three, treat it like six and be happy. And if you don't know who he is, you need to go back and look for some type of understanding because there's a possibility you can't even talk about the situation because you don't even know what he brings to the table. Okay. You may not know, you not, you may not have the understanding to even estimate that this guy could be the best college coach in the United States. He could be the best college coach in history, right? You're not estimating that, Hey, you could be looking at one of the best coaches, period, that we've seen in history. So if you value him where this, he could be one of the best, like he was a cornerback and kick returner, then you're going to think about this situation a little bit differently when you add all the factors up of this a situation. So Jamil Hill, this is how she finished her article. Sanders never misled anyone about his interest in moving on to a bigger and better resource program. When Sanders was asked during a recent 60 Minutes interview if he could consider coaching offers from major conference schools, Sanders said, I'm going to have to entertain it straight up. I'll be a fool not to. So right there, he's telling you, if somebody puts a good deal on the table, yes, I'm going to look the country in the eye and I'm going to tell you I may jump ship. I'm going to have to entertain that. And again, he's already going on podcasts telling you there's some frustrations there at Jackson State, and he's, he's being very specific about some of his frustrations. Still, Sanders, this is Hill again. Still, Sanders once seemed to understand that the Jackson State program has a special mission. After taking the head coaching job in uh, 2020, he appeared on ABC's Good Morning America and told the host, Michael Strahan, one of about three dozen HBCU players in the NFL Hall of Fame that God led me to Jackson State. Again and again, Sanders tugged at all the right emotion, emotional strings. I don't know if you know, but we're family now, Sanders said during his introductory press conference at Jackson State. He, he also told 60 Minutes that George Floyd's murder partially motivated him to come to Jackson State and that he was committed to reshaping narratives about historically black colleges and universities. He wanted to change lives, he said, change the perception of HBCU football. And so the, the end of her article says, Sanders unquestionably deserves a lot of credit for what he achieved at Jackson State, but that's not a blueprint other HBCUs can follow. This is one reason his departure hurts more than it should. 
Fixing the problems that have plagued HBCUs for decades was never Sanders' responsibility, even though he once seemed to think that's what he was called to do. If Sanders deserves blame for anything, it's for helping advance the false notion that one person's achievement can somehow defeat decades of neglect. And, you know, the the main thing I have with Jamil Hill is acting like spending three, Deion Sanders spending three years at Jackson State is just like nothing. It's only three years. Uh, and of course, the athletic director only kind of expected him to work, not expected him, but, but talk to him about, you know, working at least two. So there's another uh, critique or critic, uh, Randall, Bar- Randall Barnes from a um, HBCU Pulse, I believe that's his publication, our platform. He was saying that the win Coach Prime's win, this is a recent critique, that it wasn't Coach Prime who shocked the college football world that beat TCU. It wasn't his coaching. Man, these people, they sound crazy, but he says that it's the talent on his team, right? This is a critic, you know, and how can you separate if – I'm developing my son, who may be the best quarterback in college football right now, Shador Sanders, that if I'm developing my son, he's the quarterback, I should get credit for that. If I go out and recruit and develop a team and recruit a team and I'm the attraction and everybody wants to be coached by me because of what I bring to the table, that's part coaching. You can't separate the recruiting, the development, and bringing the machine over to Colorado. You can't separate that, right? And so nobody would go to Nick Saban at Alabama and, hey, it's not Nick Saban. You know, it's just the talent that he, you know, it's just the talent on the field. I mean, some of this stuff is, uh, I think, is really outrageous in terms of, you know, some of the, the criticism that's out there. So, you know, the Jamil Hill piece in the Atlantic brings up that, you know, there's a spook problem here. There's a Messiah complex where people, you know, when you consider the 400 year history, 400 plus year history of black Americans, is that there's this malstructure in the society, right? The monopoly board is all fucked up, right? Stuff is dealt over here and dealt over here. And, you know, you're over here in Baltic and Mediterranean, you know, with low rents. Uh, but it's the society in terms of the, it's malstructured. It's not, it was never set up right. Okay. It was set up white. And so there's all these structural problems in the society and industries, in policing, in business and finance, in technology and startup fundraising. So there's all these structural problems. Okay. And some people, they still have the mentality that one person 
is going to do so much work to fix it, right? So, you know, you grew up and you, you read about Dr. Martin Luther King, you met about Malcolm X, and, you know, you listen to them and you've gone to church and, you know, you're thinking about how to examine the society, I believe, in a lot of cases, what, when we grew up in the church, a lot of us, right? Some of that bleeds over into how we evaluate information in terms of we have a Messiah complex. We start thinking that Obama is going to come and do all this stuff. You know, Obama is going to deliver. You know, I remember in some of my spook, you know, uh, with Obama, you know, at one time I would say, hey, you know, he can't really do too much. Yes, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, I'm very honest about that at one point. Uh, and, you know, once he got out of office, that's when he would come after us. That's when he would really, you know, start doing things to help black Americans. Right. I had created this in my own head, this spook. And I had to go back and kind of audit myself in terms of, man, why would you just create this stuff? And so, you know, whether it's Barack Obama or Deion Sanders you know, in a lot of cases, we have a problem of a Messiah complex where we think somebody is supposed to be the Dr. King of HBCUs in college football. And this person is going to come and fix all these deep issues. You, we, you know, when you have that mentality, you don't really understand how deep the issues are. You don't really understand the complexity of the issue. You don't really understand how long these issues have been going on. So to try to squeeze all these issues in a slim bottle of Deion Sanders would be retarded. It would be like a backwards thinker, right? So because you don't really understand the reality, why would you be hoping or why do you expect one person to come fix all this stuff that has been going on so long? It's not the person is selling you the spook, although Obama was selling spook at one point. It's you creating this fiction in your head. So if somebody comes, the reality comes and takes the toy away from the child. And the child is going to throw a tantrum. Or you go tell the child that Santa Claus is not coming down the chimney. The child is going to throw a tantrum. They're going to start throwing stuff, right? So on social media and with these different critics and journalists, there was a big tantrum that Deion Sanders was not going to stay at Jackson State because essentially they were looking at him now as some type of HBCU Dr. King. He's my HBCU messiah. Okay, so now the people are thinking in spook terms. Okay, so they're thinking that somebody's going to come save them. And there's, you know, you're forgetting about, hey, what type of work do you or we have to do on this issue? Let's talk about that. You can't expect the less that the collective is doing on the issue. There's more pressure for the individual that the spook is transferred to. Okay, so if nobody actually wants to go out there and, you know, 
put the pieces together or organize or start organizations to go after a lot of improvement and elevation of HBCUs, right? If, if people are not doing a lot of this, there's more pressure for this one man to fix everything. And it's an unrealistic and unfair expectation. If you think about it mathematically, uh, historically, if we reason and consider the different factors at play here, stop thinking that somebody, some Santa Claus or some, you know, Dr. King is going to come and fix all the HBCUs or fix how this stuff has been designed. It's not Deion Sanders' fault that things are like this. He is not the fixer that you thought he was, but that doesn't make him a bad person. This situation needs fixers, plural. And so, you know, you can't squeeze these issues into some type of leader prototype. There's some type of leader that's coming in these industries or coming in the HBCU complex who is going to do all these great things. Now, we can say we can get optimistic, more optimistic when we see organization, when we see a collective rallying behind an issue and we're talking about organization and results, but you can't, the country can't just put everything on Deion Sanders. And so when we have these expectations that this person is supposed to do this and this person is supposed to be the Dr. King of HBCUs and this person is is the savior, we have to consider what type of contract that they sign up for. Obama never signed a contract with black Americans about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that for you. I believe a lot of the expectations was just something we made up in our head. We, it looked a certain way. Things looked good. And we just thought we made stuff up. With Prime... These critics, I believe they made up some spook in their head that he, this guy is still a family man. He's still a businessman. He's still a coach that is coaching possibly one of the best quarterbacks in history. His son over his career could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He, there's a lot of different things that you would have to consider here. So when we have these expectations, right, we got to think about, did the person sign up? Did they sign a contract with us? Or are we just creating our own terms in our head because of how we grew up, because of you know, we're, we don't know how things work. We're distant from reality. And the more distant we are from how things work, how the society works, you know, we start making stuff in our head and we have these, you know, unrealistic expectations because we're very distant from the reality. And so going back to Bomani Jones, it's possible where he's laughing at, Deion Sanders on CNN and he's telling everybody all this stuff about making fun of, you know, how he sold the dream. But consider this, 
we often dream about scenarios and situations. I want this job or I want this opportunity. I want this investment. I want this and that. However, once we step into it, right, it's just a dream. But once we step into it, once we step into the reality, right, what we thought coming in is not going to be the same, right? Because we didn't have enough information at that point. So if I dream about doing this and I want to do all this stuff, I want to help these people. I want to do all this. That's the dream before I step into the reality. Okay. Once I step into the reality and I collect all the information the and I understand how things work, the budgets, the politics, the different personalities, you know, the different conflicts, administrative, executive conflicts. Once I understand the reality, okay, I'm not going to look at the dream the same. And you never, you people out there talking all this stuff and criticizing you, I'm not, my contract is not with you. My contract is with Jackson State. My contract is with my principles. My contract is with my vision and my own plans. And so, you know, we have to consider that someone is going into Jackson State with a dream and they're saying these things, but the reality is adding up where they may think about it differently. That doesn't make the person a hypocrite because they're experiencing more reality. They're experiencing more life. They have more and more information in the paint on the ground. Okay, so, you know, Bomani Jones, you know, hey, how did the dream change? Dreams change all the time. Ask a lot of people who have been married. Are some people... You know, they have a business situation and they thought it was this, but it's not this once they step into it. Okay. That I have a lot more information now. So the last thing I want to uh, go over is multi-factor versus the police. Okay. So multi-factor is, hey, before I handcuff Coach Prime, and he's a sellout, he's Uncle Tom, he's hurting HBCUs, he's selfish. Before I put him into the media and cultural prison, okay, before I lock him up, you know, I need to consider multiple factors. If I go to just one factor, and I go into a simple how it looks on the surface. Oh, this looks bad. He's going from black to white. He's going from no money at Jackson State to big money, you know, 30 million at Colorado. Okay. If I look at something on the surface and I just look at one factor, a bad factor, what people are saying what people are, how people are criticizing, right? I just throw him in jail. He's a sellout. Cancel him. I don't want to hear nothing from that nigga. 
You know, look what he did to us. Look what he did to HBCUs. So when I'm thinking like that, simplistically, and I have a negative expectation coming into this situation, I'm thinking the person who looks like me is doing something bad to me. I'm taking it personally is what Cosby, President Cosby said at Simmons. Look at what he's doing to us. Look at what he's doing to the cause. I'm thinking like the police here. You know, when I'm thinking like Bomani Jones and some of these other people who have a negative expectation of the intention of Coach Prime, they don't want to consider all the different factors to this situation. They're not interested in all the details, inside information. Hey, this it looks a certain way, but what are the people saying on the inside? Do you see any of the players who are hitting that transfer portal and their parents confirming what these critics are saying? Do you see the staff confirming these moral judgments in terms of all the social media and the critics and the counselors and the council culture? Do you see anybody close to Coach Prime? Do you see anybody at Jackson State bad-mouthing him, his character, his intentions? You don't see anybody on the inside. You see everybody criticizing on the outside. And so when we start to think like that, a one factor, a single factor mind, we go in the direction of thinking like the police, right? You want to arrest, you want to arrest somebody. A lot of times somebody successful and prominent. Okay, but you're not, you don't care about, if you care about the cause and the people so much, you may want to look into the different factors of that situation before you start painting a brush and undermining someone's character without good information about what's really going on. So when you think about the different factors, one of the factors I would start with is family. Okay. So if my son is as talented of a quarterback as Prime's son, Shador Sanders, uh, who just went off against TCU, I got to think about his career. I got to think about his wallet. I got to think about his future. Okay. So I get the mission. I get the, the HBCU cause. But hey, this guy right here, this guy could be better than Tom Brady. Okay. So I got to think about him too. What's going to put him in the best position for his, for my son's career? It's not your son. It's my son. Okay. That's, that's one. I got to think about my family situation. So Coach Prime, uh, he had a charter school, Prime Academy. And, you know, it had a good mission, but essentially it ran into some financial problems. It had to close down. Prime was funding it out of his own pocket. A school out of his own pocket. Did you hear that? A school. He's funding a school and helping the school out of his own pocket. Not all him, but... He's putting personal funds to work for a school, okay? And the school closes down. 
And Prime says, I'm not putting more any more money. I'm not throwing good money after bad. And so you got to also consider that although Prime says money was not the dominant factor, that this guy has to think about his family's financial situation. If I'm over here, you know, not making that much after taxes with Jackson State, and I could be making, you know, a lot more over here, I got to think about my own financial security. I'm not going to be upside down because the critic wants me to be upside down. I got a big family. I have to support, you know, what looks to be most likely a very expensive woman on my team. Tracy Babyface's uh, uh, ex-wife, uh, uh, Tracy, the I believe the former Tracy Edmonds. But, you know, that's not a cheap, you know, woman on your team. And, you know, you got to consider that coming out of COVID, Chris Rock, he said that during the COVID pandemic, there was a very big celebrity that reached out to him and said he was having financial problems. And it's probably somebody so big, you wouldn't even believe it. But Chris Rock was saying that it was a very notable celebrity that was having financial problems during COVID. And, you know, Chris Rock himself said that he had to start cutting back during COVID. Of course, you can't tour and your money could start looking funny during a time like that because you expected you would be working and now you're not working. Okay. So Chris Rock is telling you that he had to cut back, you know, during the COVID uh, pandemic on his spending. Okay. His lifestyle. Uh, and Gabrielle Union said, during this COVID period that a lot of people, they think black celebrities, they have all this money laying around. And uh, what Gabrielle Union said is a lot of us are living check to check. Okay. So, you know, the spook in terms of you're very distant from what's really going on. You're thinking that these people are all loaded and they have this, all this cash, but once you pay the government, right. And you know, you you're taking care of your family and you're, your extended family and friends and, you know, you got all these obligations and you have a celebrity lifestyle that people are not, they don't have the wallets that you think they have. You see celebrity and you think they have all this money laying around. It doesn't work like that. Okay. So Chris Rock and Gabrielle Union, they were communicating that during this COVID pandemic time, there were people that were under some type of stress or they're just cutting back. It's, it was a good time to sharpen up your, your personal financial security. Okay. So with this situation, the critic can't say, Hey, Dion, you have to work for charity at Jackson state. I know your financial situation and you have to stay there because I want you to be the Dr. King of HBCUs. We don't have the right to dictate or in some cases to even have an opinion on a situation like this where someone who has skin in the game and they have a lot of personal exposure in terms of you should stay and do the charity work instead of going over there and getting paid and you're still probably getting less a lot less than what you're really worth over there at Colorado so on the street you're like man he's going over there making all that money still he may be getting half or a third of what he's really worth 
but the world does not know he's worth that yet. But in his mind, he may think that he's worth a lot more, that the world just doesn't know it yet. You just need some time for everybody else to catch up. And he has a right to that point of view. Okay. So there could be a personal financial situation in the background that has to be considered before you go handcuff Deion Sanders. Before you go say he's this and this and that, he should be doing this. I can't say what that man should be doing because I don't have sufficient information. I need to have more factors to be considered, particularly somebody who has the credibility and the success of a Deion Sanders. And so there were other issues at Jackson State. I believe a young man was murdered on campus. There was a water crisis uh, that was happening in terms of there's a, a water issue in Mississippi, a big one, where Biden and the government have now stepped in and Deion Sanders has to deal with that. He has to deal with all that stuff. And so, you know, there's probably a 50 other things that this guy has to deal with again, but he's not going to tell you everything, which speaks to, I believe, his character. He's not going to tell you all the dirt. He's going to protect Jackson State in terms of some stuff that was going on. Uh, but you, we have to consider all of this. And so one of the points I want to leave you with is in 2019, the national alumni giving rate was 8% in the country. Two years later, Forbes reported that HBCUs as a collective are giving back to their institutions by a rate of 10%, exceeding the national average. Tuskegee, Claflin, Spellman, and Bennett have stellar alumni who give at rates above 25%. So some people may expect that HBCU graduates, us, I'm an HBCU graduate, uh, that we give less, right? But the data suggests that we give more than the average. Now, where this data could be misleading, according to this Forbes report, the data could be misleading, but of course, this is just the average, right? Spellman could be at 30% driving up the average, right? That's a really good number for Spellman, but there's other colleges that may be at 2%, right? And so they are below the national average. So these numbers could be very skewed where there's a lot of people not giving, a lot of colleges and alumni not giving at the national rate. However, they're being, of course, picked up by the Spellmans, the Tuskegee's, or the Bennett's. But, you know, I would think that there's a lot of people out there who would think that we don't give as much as the national average. And, the you know, once you go into the data, you know, like a police thinks you just looking at you, they think you did something. Sometimes we can look at each other with that police mentality. We may just approach issues such as this and just have a negative expectation. If you ask, you know, the people, hey, do you think black Americans give less than the national average? A lot of people would say, I bet you black Americans give less, right? But the data doesn't confirm that. And so the more scientific we get, the less we start thinking, the less we think like the police. 
are a crooked judge. And so I'm going to leave you with this. When we have insufficient factors in a situation, we are unlikely to be close to the truth. Keep it scientific. Peace.